0: So, my name's Richard. (laughs) Actually, that's not really a joke for some of you because I've already met a few of you this morning, and uh, some of you probably do feel like I need a name tag. Uh, I'm not an RUF campus minister. (laughs) I'm not an MTW missionary. Um, I guess I aspire to be all those things and more. Okay, we're back. Um, let me say, thank you. Let me, let me say, um, Sarah and I are intensely grateful for the time that the Lord provided for us to be away. Uh, it was incredibly helpful to, to reset, to recalibrate the instruments I think we needed it in candor more than we we realized. Uh, rest, whole body, soul, mind, spirit, uh, and, and uh, stories that could be told that I will not tell now. Um, let me also say a, a word of appreciation to so many in this room who stepped up uh, during that time and assumed new roles, and I trust you still will. Um, uh, I hope and I pray truly that that was a blessing to you, stepping into new roles, new responsibilities, letting the Lord stretch you and move you, and, you know, it's a kingdom endeavor. We're all in this together, and may it be, and may uh, that continue. Uh, Our text this morning, you see the transition I'm making? Um, Our text this morning, I'm not, we're not starting a new series today. I would ask you to pray for me. I still really don't know where we're going in the coming weeks because I haven't put any thought into that because I've been, you know, kind of switched off, right, for for a period of time. The text for this morning, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, is, if I can put it this way, merely, terrible word, merely what has been on my mind and heart so much over the last several weeks and months. So that's the text. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And what you're going to see very clearly, I, I don't even really need to say anything. You're going to see this so abundantly clearly in the, the, next, the next few moments, how Paul is just exuding with the supremacy and the ultimacy and the preeminence of Jesus. He, he doesn't have enough words. He doesn't have enough way, uh, language to, to, to speak. And you're going to see this uh, just here in these, these few verses. So Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Let us uh, hear now God's word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Well, can we pray for a moment? Lord, thank You. Thank You for grabbing hold of the heart of our brother, Paul. Thank you for this moment in the course of uh, the life of the church there in first century Colossae and uh, the word that Paul got about things going on there such that you impelled him to write and you inspired his words such that these are your words and we thank you for the holy privilege of being able to listen in. But also the wonder of knowing that these really these words are not just for a people a long long time ago in a place far away, but these words are for us. And and we are asking a Holy Spirit that you would please move within our hearts. You you alone know know where each of us are this morning, knowing what our needs are. So we are coming to you asking that you would speak, speak deeply down into our very bones and change us. Where we need encouragement, would you bring that? Where we need conviction, would you bring that? Where we need courage and emboldenment, would you please bring that? Where we need clarity, uh, would you bring that? We pray in your name. Amen. So, it was the year 325 A.D., some 300 bishops were called to a meeting in a town called Nicaea in Northwest Asia Minor. It's what is referred to now today as the, the Nicaean Council. These folks gathered together in this place at this time because right there in this moment in the early ch- history of the church divisions were threatening to tear her asunder, and the source of those divisions had to do with the teachings of a priest named Arius. Arius said that Jesus, this is what he taught, he said that Jesus was not God. He was a great man, a good man, but he was not divine. He was part of the creation, an English translation of one of his teachings was, there was a time when he was not. Now, that's a problem, to say the least. This is what is referred to as a heresy, not just untrue and not just unhelpful, but completely destructive because it's completely antithetical to the essence of the Christian message, which has everything fundamentally to do with who Jesus is and what it is he's come to do. So, this council is called. 300 bishops gather there to weigh this, to discern what are we going to do, how are we going to respond and, and, and such. There's a man there. Uh, he was the, at the time, he was the bishop in a town called Myra. We know him today as St. Nicholas. Yes, that's right, the one you're thinking of. St. Nicholas had a sense of, of the gravity of the situation and was incensed. Now if you can imagine, this is not, not jolly old St. Nick. This is enraged, irate, convicted St. Nicholas, the bishop of Myra, who gets the stakes. And so, Nicholas, hearing what Arius has said, stands up, this is according to the witnesses, stands up, walks across the room, faces him squarely, and slaps him in the face. If you know anything about the history of Saint Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, you know that his heart beat with the gospel. You know that he has the the burden of the man's life. He, He grasped the mercy of Jesus in his life, and it bled forth in all that he was, especially towards the poor and justice on their behalf as well. My point being, this is not a man just going off half-cocked. He's deeply mature in his faith when he... Now, I, please don't... We're, the idea here, the application here is not to go around slapping people. <laughs> it's your new Christmas morning tradition. No. Um, <laughs> the idea here is not to go around slapping people, even heretics. However... However, the idea here is to recognize the seriousness of what's going on. The seriousness of this heresy. Not just false, not just foolish, but destructive. Deadly. Who is Jesus Christ? That's what was at issue in this, at this council. Now, it's actually what was at issue at, at the, the time, like the early, mid-60s, first century, not the 20th century. The early, mid-60s, the first century in the city of Colossae. That's what's at stake. It's why Paul is writing this letter. They are besieged within and without by these heretical teachings regarding who Jesus is. And so Paul is responding. Now, it's interesting, what you don't find in commentators' Are really all over the map when it comes to, well, what was the heresy exactly that Paul is addressing here? We don't really know because he doesn't actually tell us, not explicitly. He doesn't itemize it, he doesn't list it, he doesn't describe it point by point, but what he does is, is something much more helpful to them and to us. He goes to the roots, or if I can put it this way, he digs down up beneath this, the, the foundation of the whole thing, plants a theological bomb, and blows it up. He helps them and us to see, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And that answers a whole lot of things. A whole lot of things. He's getting to essentials. He's getting to first things, the most important things, the most vital things. Christ is overall. There are a lot of different ways that We're going to unpack what that means in the next few minutes. Christ is over all, supreme over all, ultimate over all, preeminent over all, and that is the first thing we need to know. Christ is over all, and that is the first thing we need to know. Now, how do we see that here? Two basic ways. Christ as Lord of the cosmos, point one. Christ as Lord of the church. Point two. Simple outline. Lord of the cosmos. How do we see that? What does Paul unpack that? Well, let me just read again verses 15 through 17. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. My goodness, where, where do we even begin, right? Okay, well, let's just take a stab at it. Let's just talk about this, that clearly Paul is trying to help us to understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Now, that, like, full stop, what? Think, think about that. I know some of you grown up in the church, and you're so used to that, it's just common, like, oh, of course he is. What Really? Jesus Christ is God in the flesh he is the image of the invisible God he is the visible manifestation of the eternal God of the universe if you want to know what the nature and character are of the living God read the Gospels and there you can see him walking around think of the the ministry of Jesus his miracles yes his teachings yes Also, the way he engages with people. And we can see what God is like because there he is. There he is in in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible. God, he is the, as Paul says, the firstborn of all creation. And don't get hung up on what this doesn't mean. Well, maybe we should say what this doesn't mean. This is not speaking of Jesus having a beginning. He was born. He has a birthday, yes, but he does not have a beginning. His, what we celebrate is Christmas is his entrance into the world, not the beginning of his existence. He is the second person of the, of the Trinity, the eternal... God when when Paul speaks here of Jesus being the firstborn of all creation what he's alluding to here and his the rea- his readers would have understood this he's speaking of the custom of what was referred to then it, well, we would say in English primogeniture meaning that the rights and rule and privileges of the firstborn son he gets it all indeed his status Upon the death of the father, the patriarch of the family is then that of the patriarch of the family. That's what it means to say Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is not supreme within creation. He is supreme over it. Why? Because he made it. And Paul speaks to that. Genesis 1, 1 right? The very first book, first verse, first chapter, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you see echoes of that right here in Colossians 1. Paul says that in Jesus, the heavens and the earth were created, everything visible and invisible owes its origin and beginning. And by the way, just a quick side note, when Paul speaks of the invisible realm in the context of Colossians, it's pretty clear he is speaking here, not of just things we can't see, but the angelic realm. So he's being... All inclusive. Nothing is left out here. As high as you can go, as wide as you can go, as deep as you can go, as everything you can go, everything owes its existence, creation, to Jesus. And then you see these sweeping prepositions, in case we couldn't see it. By Him, all things were created. Through Him, as the means, as the instrument. Is the one who's done it, all things were created. For him, all things were created. He is the goal. It's the, he's the point. This is just stunning how Paul is pressing in here on these things. So Jesus, the Christ, is the God in the flesh, creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. We don't just owe our origin to Christ. We owe our ongoing existence to him. Paul says, you see it there in verse 17, he eludes to this by speaking of how Jesus is before all things, and he goes on to say, in him all things hold together. Because before all things, it's speaking again to that preeminence. Time may have, does have, a beginning and an end, Christ does not. I, I know, it's good you're sitting down when I said that, right? Like, like put that in your pipe and smoke it. I mean, We cannot get our minds around this. Why? Because our minds are finite. The finite trying to understand the infinite. Good luck with that. But what we're seeing here is that in Jesus, there never was a time when he was not. He precedes all. And going further, as, as Paul says here, he holds it all together... He sustains it all. And he's speaking here, by the way, not just in terms of provision, though that's worth noting. You know, I don't think, I could probably count maybe two, three, four of you that I know of grew up on farms, so you know that you know actually your food didn't come from Publix, at least not, you know, utterly, you know, when you trace it back. Where did you get your fruit? Oh, the lady. No, 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 no. Um, He's not just saying... He provides for you. He's speaking here of the doctrine of providence. his holding the cells of your body in this moment while you're sitting in that chair together. And all the stars in the heavens, in their orbits, together. All the currents flow as he directs them. Everything, everything, everything to the nth degree. Jesus, not just creates, not just provides, but providences. I made that up. He holds it all together. This is not the deist version of the great God Almighty who made it all like a watch. Intricate, great design, amazing, wow, but then puts it up on the mantle of a shelf and steps away to just let it run itself. And that's the way a lot of us think. We think that's honoring to God. Oh, look how great he is. No, it's completely dishonoring to God because we're failing to reckon with his involvement, his his involvement, his engagement, his with us, being with us. He holds all things together. Who is this that Paul is writing about? He is speaking of Christ Christ the Lord of the cosmos. We sang of this earlier. Who is this? Who is this one born in the manger? Who is this one who walked the earth? Who is this one who died upon the cross? Who is this one who rose from the dead? Who is this one who ascended to heaven? Who is this one who sent us his spirit? Who is this one who has promised to return? He is Lord of the cosmos. He is over all. Sort of like, and this is a pretty good day to put it this way, sort of like wet in the Smokies. You ever spent much time hiking or camping in the Smoky Mountains for a, you know, a stretch of time where it's, you know, the humidity is just nonstop, it's damp, and it's, the rain just keeps coming, and you don't even have a dry towel. It's just wet on everything. Wet in the Smokies. Jesus is like that, over all, over every single thing, every cell in our bodies, every star in the heavens, every drop in the ocean, every moment in your story, every headline in the news, every decision made in the courts, Every vote that is cast, every email in your inbox, he is Lord. Lord over it all. The ultimacy, the sufficiency, the preeminence, with no exception. If we're hearing what Paul is saying, he is Lord over all with no exception. What do we do with this? How do we run with this? Before we move on to point two, just thinking in terms of how to apply this. You know, let's, let's not just be Sunday Christians, but Monday Christians. Where do we go with this? Well, f- first as an aside, let me just say there's assurance and confidence to be had here in knowing that, in fact, from the very beginning of the church, this is what they said. This was not something that the church made up, the idea of the deity of Jesus. Just within a few years, this was written just 30 years after what we read of in the Gospels, we see that it's just understood its common vocabulary to apply the glorious description of the triune God to Jesus of Nazareth. So this is not something that the church made up. We can know that they knew that. And stand on that no matter what else anybody else might want to tell us confidence and assurance number one confidence and assurance number two we can trust him we can lean into him we can rely upon him this if, if this is true if the supremacy if the eternal supremacy of jesus christ as fully god The creator of all things the sustainer of all things if the supremacy of Christ is true then so too has to be his daily sufficiency in the lives of his people if he's eternally supreme he's daily sufficient he's enough he's enough for your Monday Every day, every moment through the day, everything through the day, whatever our anxieties or worries may be, this very moment regarding our families, our finances, our future, Whatever the anxiety is and worries that you may be carrying regarding your career and its direction or indirection. Or our culture. How big is this Jesus? He's God over all. With no exceptions. With absolutely no exceptions. And therein we not only can but must trust and rely upon Him for Everything. This is the first thing we need to know, who he is, who he is, Lord of the cosmos. Okay, that finally takes us to the second point. This is only a two-point sermon, so I could go that long with point one. Bear with me. Um, point two, but I do have a lot of powder, dry powder stored away, and so this may—no, never mind, anyway. <laughs> when do y'all need to go? Uh, all right, Lord of the church. That's the second thing, Lord of the church. Verses 18 through 20. Let's look at that. And it, he is, the same one we've been reading, of, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, where do we start? Well, let's just try and slowly move our way through this, so he is the head of the body, the body, he's speaking of the church, his people, the the community, the fellowship, our, our shared life together, our shared partnership, our shared relationship, the interdependency, the community, the body, the body, and he is the head of the body. Now, by that, in Paul's language, he's not just referring there to the source of our life, ...but to the direction for our life. He's speaking in terms of Christ as our authority. Christ as our king. Christ as our sovereign. Christ as our Lord. Before whom we must bow. To whom we must yield all. All. He is the head of the body. What a statement. What a statement. He is the recreator of all things... Paul says that he is the beginning, hearkening back to Genesis, but a new Genesis, a a a, a beginning anew, a recreation. And again, those prepositions apply here as well. All that, all of this, is in him and through him and for him. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. The apostle John... Uh, he refers to Jesus as the resurrection and the life. In his gospel, Jesus refers to himself as the resurrection and the life. Uh, he is the beginning of a, of a new humanity. He is the first fruits of a resurrection to come, showing us something of what our own is going to be life like and guaranteeing it as well. This is this Jesus, the beginning, the firstborn from The dead, the the head of the body, the recreator of all things, and the reconciler of all things as well. you have any ache in your heart for the rift within this world to be healed? Jesus is your hope. He's the reconciler of all things. Paul, speaking again to his deity, but coming at it from a slightly different angle, speaks of Jesus, the Christ, as the fullness of God. Tapping into language of, of imagery, uh, history of the, in the Old Testament era of the, the, the tabernacle and the temple as being the spatial dwelling of God with his people, a God not far off, but with them, amidst them. And that's what we see here in Jesus. He is fully God... And again, I'm glad you're sitting down because this is too much for our little brains to take in. He is fully God, and at the same time, God is fully in him. He is the fullness of God, this Jesus, the Christ. He is the, the head of the body. He's the recreator of all things. He's the reconciler of all things. And because he is the fullness of God, he can be the reconciler of all things. He is, as we read elsewhere in the scriptures, the prince of peace. All, because of him and in him, all rebellion of every kind will cease. How, Paul says, by the blood of his cross. Now try and juxtapose everything Paul has said so far about the the exalted nature of this Jesus. And now he's speaking of his death, his murder. This peace comes through his cross. And that's our hope. And it is only because of all that he is that he then can bring this peace. There's no one else who could do it. There was no one else who could do it. So, again, who is this? Who is Joseph and Mary's boy? Lord of the church. Lord of the church. How far does does his lordship go? I can go back to the image in the last point. Wet in the Smokies. It goes everywhere. We can try to get away. Read that in Psalm 2. We can try to get away from his lordship, but that's a fool's errand. Much to our destruction, whether temporally or eternally. So, then, thinking in terms of how to run with this and where to run with this, we can trust him, said this earlier, we can trust him without exception, but we have to go further and say, we must yield to him without exemption. Do you see the two? We can trust, must, can and must trust him in everything without exception. But we must yield and follow him without exemption. And that has to be said. You know. You know that has to be said. We are, every one of us in this room, every one of us, even the ones being held in the arms and the ones down the hall, they just haven't learned enough yet. They had, they're not skilled enough at it yet. But the older we are, the more practiced we are at finding the loopholes and finding the exceptions. I'm going to put this over here, this area of my life, and put a no fishing, no trespassing sign over there, Jesus. Lord, Lord, you see the nonsensical nature of this, Lord, no trespassing. Lord, this is mine. Lord, I will go and live as I please over here. One of those needs to give. They can't coexist. Paul is writing here. Who is his audience? It's not the general populace of the city of Colossae. It's the church. And if you think in terms of why he has to say, why he has to give some of the strong ethical moral commands that he does in the second half of this letter, you realize the reason for that. It's not that he's just like, like got papyrus and ink to, to waste. He's having to say the things that he does in chapters 3 and 4 because despite whatever their profession was, their lives belied and cuts the legs out from underneath that profession. And to get at that what does he then begin with who is Jesus Lord over all the one who can be trusted and the one who must be yielded to ours as followers as disciples of Jesus is to give first allegiance not to our political preferences Not to the whims of the crowd or the pressure of peers or the tyranny of our hormones or the dictates of custom. Ours is to bend the knee to Jesus. And there can be no other rivals to that if we are in fact His disciples, if in fact we are hearing What Paul is saying, that indeed he is Lord of the cosmos, Lord of the church, this has to then be the first thing that we know. So, Hurricane Ida, let me begin with this. Hurricane Ida, you know this, you read the news, the the storm even came up this way, so we felt some of the after effects of it, and the rain and the wind and all of that. It sat here for like, what, a day? Um... It cut a terrible path of destruction, some 1,500 miles. Starting in the Gulf, going up into the Northeast. And like some nasty beast, it was ugliest at its entrance and its exit. When you you look at the the, the numbers and the statistics, statistics trees snapped, roofs blown off, roads flooded, cars submerged, basements, people trapped. Two feet of rain in some places. Can you imagine? Seven feet, seven foot rather, seven foot flood surge in some areas. Over a million people in the state of Louisiana alone without power at one time. It was the best forecast, one of the best forecast storms in recent memory, but you can know it's coming, but that doesn't do anything to downgrade the force. It's power. Engineers and meteorologists also spoke about what they call a negative flow. Maybe you heard about this. Where the Mississippi River enters the Gulf of Mexico, there was a phenomenon because of this storm called a negative flow. So the, the Old Man River and all of its, I don't know, millions of gallons per second Somebody's going to look that up and email me later. (laughs) But this intense, crazy flow, force of water, because of this storm coming up from the south, moving north, the Mississippi River, as it meets the Gulf of Mexico, slows, stops, and reverses course. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of impact when that storm is making landfall. My point, Jesus has a lot of power and affects a lot of things when he makes landfall. We can no longer trust in anything or anyone but him if we understand who he is. Jesus, we can no longer yield, submit, follow anyone or anything but him if we understand He is. That's what Paul is trying to get across to us here. By God's mercy, may we have ears to hear. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed Lord. in the deepest meaning of that word, not just in some sort of formal title or some polite nod of acknowledgement, but in the strictest, deepest sense of the word, you are Lord of the cosmos and Lord of the church. Would you have mercy upon us such that we would know you truly, deeply that way? Would you reveal to us the ways in which we don't Would you help us, as we're going to take just a moment of quiet here, to examine our hearts, the arenas, the areas where we are taking exception to places in our lives where we would trust you and rely on you and have confidence in you? Would you show us that? And would you in your mercy and your love and your grace show us the areas in which we have put up not just exceptions, but exemptions, exemptions to our obedience, to our submission and our thoughts and words and deeds and our service to you and to the people around us. Oh, Jesus, the exceptions and the exemptions would you show us as we take a moment to be still. And, Lord, would you encourage us accordingly because we know you can do this. We know that you, you as the great emancipator, can set us free. So set us free from the ways in which we have set up these exceptions and exemptions, and you delight to open up the eyes of your people, to broaden in the most beautiful way, broaden our, the horizons of who we understand you to be. You delight to do that as we come to you humbly asking you to do such things. And we ask that you would ground us with a deep knowledge and assurance of your mercy and your might. We pray these things in your name.